millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is the book and TV show on Netflix, All the Light We Cannot See, which means we'll be talking about World War II, and also we'll be talking, for a change, about something I really don't like. Most of the episodes is I'm watching something or reading something or playing something, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm... This is scratching an itch, and then I start doing some research, and I discover there's some connections, either subconscious or deliberate, with the past. And I then wax lyrical about them, and people say, Oh, Jem, you're so passionate about things. It made me look into it, which I always loved for the record. But to turn around and say that every single thing I interact with is I feel 100% successful, or indeed I enjoy everything I look at, that would be a lie. And I have also had some people online turning around and saying, you know, I loved your rant about blah. So it's been quite a while. I've, I guess I've been in a happy place recently. And I, I am in a happy place. This has not ruined my life. I'm not out for a vendetta about anybody in this show in particular. I can't really comment so much on the book. But, oh, oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it started annoying me. My wife started giving me dirty looks. And I ended up having a conversation with a few people online about it. So I remember there's a Paul online and Mary as well. There's somebody who's got a clever name on their Twitter handle, so I can't tell you what their actual name is. But if you remember having a conversation with me about all the light we cannot see, you guys are the ones who influenced this particular episode. Thank you so much for that. If you're not aware of it... All the Light We Cannot See is by Anthony Adour. It came out as a book in 2015, and it became a New York Times bestseller. So that's going to be pretty good then. And then it also became a Pulitzer Prize winner for fiction. So this is quality. And I remember my wife consumes books the way most people have cups of coffee, and this is one of the colossal pile of books that we have at home that I keep saying we need to thin it out a little bit, darling. I'm not sure I can live in a house just full of books. And so this is the story of Marie Laure and her relationship with her father. Her mother has died and she's blind. This is the critical thing. And she's a teenager when 
we have the invasion of France by German powers in 1940. However, most of the action takes place, I do use the term action, both literally and also weirdly loosely as well, in 1944. And it's all based around, although when she was a younger girl with dad, she was in Paris, now they're in Saint-Malo, which is, it's in Brittany, it's a walled medieval city, it's right on the coast, it is an important port, and funnily enough, it's going to come up in World War II. We're not there yet, though. It's just a wonderful place, it's a wonderful setting, and I heard some people, when I was beginning to get annoyed on, on the internet, some people said, particularly the person with the unusual Twitter handle, which I can't quite remember, they said that they were watching it with their partner and they came to the conclusion of the best way to watch this is it's like it's a fairy tale that just happens to be set during World War II. Maybe it is. Like I said, I can't really comment. I've, I've had a flick through the book and it is clear that Anthony Doerr is a beautiful writer. My wife was showing me a book recently which had on the back of it, you know, this is beautiful and elegant writing. And I said, yeah, I have never had that as a review ever. But then again, I'm not going for that. This is the thing. Just because you're good in one area of your life doesn't automatically mean you're good in another area. This is the problem I have whenever you get musicians and sports people starting to tell you their political points of view. Now, fair enough, everybody's entitled to their own political points of view. But just because I respect you as a musician does not mean I think you are great at understanding the political and economic situation of a country. Those two things are not overlapping skill sets. And so in the case of me writing, I'm very good at distilling a complex historical situation into a history book for the general public, but I know I am not a literary author. So Anthony Durr, you do you. And obviously from the point of view of Netflix, this is not anything new. It's worth reminding everybody the biggest grossing movie of all time, if you take into account inflation, is Gone with the Wind which was a book a few years earlier. So it was a big selling book and then Hollywood turned it into a movie and they do very nicely out of it. So that business model has been around for a hundred years. So this is not Netflix being cheeky or anything like that. Indeed, I'm going to say that that element has actually decreased over time, particularly back in the 1980s and 90s books fiction was for everybody but today far more best-selling books are written for women i'm pleased to say you know it's nice to have a one marketplace that is dominated by women as the consumers but the alistair mcleans of the 60s and 70s have just faded away so guys now if you're a 20 year old guy you wouldn't think to buy a novel that's full of action I admit that there are fantasy and sci-fi, that's something slightly different, those are genre areas. But a 20-year-old guy used to get their thrills from reading certain types of books, and now they get them from basically playing video games. So it's changed over the time, and therefore it's nice that there's, and again, because women are the core marketplace, there are more popular female authors in the 21st century than there are male authors, I'm pleased to say. And for those of you who want to turn around and say, hang on, what about Stephen King, etc.? Yeah. Recognize that there's a lot of the male authors that are still popular started their career before this switch around actually happened. Anthony Durr, well done you. 
And also I want to say well done to Stephen Knight, because he is, if you recognize that name, that's Mr. Peaky Blinders. And also he did the SAS Rogue Heroes. I don't think he does it right all the time. In fact, I've just mentioned two things that I don't particularly like. But on this occasion, the problem isn't the dialogue. The problem is lots of other choices that are happening in this TV series. And I can't wait to start diving into them. But first of all, I need to give you a bit of context as well. Also, because it's Netflix, money has been spent on this. No doubt about that. You've got Mark Ruffalo playing the father. You've got Hugh Laurie playing the professor, who's actually a code name for a member of the French Resistance. This is a small town, Daniel. What of it? Another woman whispered that the man had a Parisian accent. And a third said she'd heard that the mysterious man from Paris had come to help the resistance. And he was measuring out the city for the American bombers. You've got Louis Hoffman and Lars Eidinger, who I'll come back to in a moment. It's like, oh, they, they sound German. Yes, they are German, and they are playing Germans. But I have actually mentioned them before in other episodes. But it all hangs on Aria Mia Loberti's shoulders. She is the one who plays Mary Laurie, and we start with this problem number one. Now, Netflix were smart. They picked somebody who has, I'm not entirely sure what the correct term is, but has sight issues. She's not 100% blind, but she literally has a blind dog or a seeing eye dog, I think they're called in America. So, I mean, she, she has major impairments to her vision. There's, there's no doubt about that. However, this is also her first ever major acting role. She's a PhD student, so she's smart. And it's not so much that she can't act, but if the whole thing hangs on the shoulders of just a person, and the first thing they decided to do is pick somebody with a similar set of disabilities as the character, while that's noble, that might not necessarily be the first thing that you want to go for. And I do agree that in the modern world, having able-sighted people playing people who are blind, there is an issue with that. I hear you on that. But there were times when I said, how am I meant to believe this girl is blind? She keeps looking down at certain points. She keeps looking at things which a blind person wouldn't do. There was a point where literally she's having a conversation with somebody and she looks down at the plate of food in front of her. Why would a 100% blind person do that? Now, I'm not blind. And obviously if I was, I wouldn't be able to see this stuff in the first place. But it, if you like, there are certain things that have to look realistic in the movies, which aren't necessarily realistic in real life. Now, clearly, she has a very small amount of actual sight, but that was still enough for her to look distracted at times. And the critical thing is with acting is you've got to believe. If you don't believe, there's a problem with the acting. So it's not like she wasn't emotional in the right time. She absolutely was, and she, like looking desperate and scared, etc. All these things work so, so well. I hope you will tune in again tomorrow. But... The principal thing that they've been hired for, I, and it wasn't just me, my wife was saying the same thing. I'm not entirely convinced uh, she's, she's blind. <laughs> like, so we ended up looking on it online. It's like, no, they did get somebody. Vision impairment, I believe that is the correct term for it. Now, the other thing is that Anthony Durr has written this whole thing in English, his whole book in English. Fair enough. And they decided to do the same thing with the show. The show is four parts and it's done all right and this 
is the point at which we hit the real problems. Because particularly with Netflix, which has been so good with foreign language programming, that people, and I've said this before in other episodes, people have just simply got used on Netflix to reading subtitles. I have two teenage boys who are more than happy than looking at subtitles, particularly on things like anime. Well done them. I wouldn't have had that attention span or all that attitude when I was a teenager. Yeah, I'd seen things like The Seven Samurai, but that was the exception, not the rule. And so Netflix has said to people, look, it, it doesn't matter what language it is, you just want a good drama, don't you? And I'm now going to give you one example that is Netflix and one example that isn't. I did a whole episode on Darth. This is one of these episodes that I knew wasn't going to do very well in terms of listener numbers, but it was such an amazing find on Netflix. Indeed, it was Netflix's first ever German language show that they commissioned. And since then, they've been more popular with it or better at it because they ended up winning Oscars for the German language version of All Quiet on the Western Front. I put that one up against SAS Rogue Heroes about a year ago. And it's interesting that the main character in All Quiet on the Western Front also has a couple of scenes in All the Light We Cannot See. Now, why am I talking about Dark? Because Louis Hoffman is the main character of Dark. He's this blonde-haired young man who is looking completely scared and terrified throughout the whole of Dark. And as Dark gets more and more complicated, as I said in the episode, the subtitles helped because it's all about time travel and therefore... Those subtitles can help reinforce, oh, I'm talking to this person, that's this person, younger or older or whatever. Really clever. It is an amazing show. If you like things like Lost or any kind of murder mystery or sci-fi type mystery or heightened reality type shows, Dark is three series. I believe it's less than 30 episodes. I think it's eight episodes per series and it's done. And it gets so complicated in the third series, I was sitting there going, this is, they're never going to tie all the pieces back together again. And they do. They stick the landing. They do a much better job than Lost ever did. And so Louis Hoffman, in it, I was watching him acting his little socks off and thinking, you're great. And I said to my wife, I wonder if he can speak English. And then we watched some interviews about Dark and he was having the interviews in English. Like, my goodness, this is a young German guy. He's bilingual. He's a great actor. Fabulous. Then I mentioned Lars Eidinger. Now, he is in, I mentioned Dark, he is in a show called Babylon Berlin, which there is another episode, came out in 2023, called Is Babylon Bad? I mentioned the movie Babylon, I mentioned Babylon 5, I mentioned Babylon Berlin as well. And I didn't really pause on him because I was spending more time talking about the key characters. He's an important secondary character. He is a continuing character throughout all the series. He basically plays this rich mama's boy who his family runs a massive industrial company and he's got this terrible hair and insanely weird fashion sense and he's just, he's got this birthmark over his face and he's just utterly pathetic and yet he's got all the money in the world and yet he's being bullied by his parents. He's a really interesting, sniveling kind of character. He's great fun in it. So again, German, speaking German. And so in this, he is playing a German officer and he's speaking English. So we've got Louis Hoffman and, and Lars Eidinger, both playing Germans, both are German speaking in English. What 
And this is the problem, because then we've got Mark Ruffalo and Hugh Laurie. Both of them are playing Frenchmen. Now, Hugh Laurie's a great actor. He's been a comedian as well. He's sort of a jack-of-all-trades. He's great. But I can't think of a more English-sounding person than Hugh Laurie. Not even Cockney, but like posh English. And he's got a great beard in this. And there's nothing wrong with his performance except for the fact we are talking about a war which Britain was involved in. There's a part of you thinking, is he meant to be a British serviceman in France? Is he a member of like the British spies? Or is he a guy who's French? Mark Ruffalo is even worse. Why did they hire Mark Ruffalo? Now, he is a name, admittedly, but with success stories like Dark and a lot of Netflix stuff, it's the idea that keeps the budget lower and it makes stars of people, you know, like Louis Hoffman. And yet what we've got is Mark Ruffalo, who, to fit in with everybody else, is trying a sort of British accent. It's very breathy. It's kind of posh. It's not very good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's it's like Mary Poppins, Dick Van Dyke level of, hello, Mary, or, or anything like that. I'm not saying it's that bad. But he's doing a rather inconvincing, vague English accent, and he's playing a Frenchman in the first place. That might be tempting for him to have a little bit of a zert in there in the language, but no. Everybody in this show is talking in either the wrong language or wrong accents. It is the story revolves around French people and German people. There are no Brits in it. Right at the end, spoiler for history, when American troops go into Saint-Malo, they're there speaking in English which is 100% accurate, but even they get some of that wrong too. So, all the light we cannot see is an example of you can see the effort. You got lots of accurate, although sometimes people are wearing the wrong ones for the wrong role, but people are wearing accurate German uniforms. There are accurate weapons being used. This setting and scenery, I don't know how much of it was done on a soundstage. Some of it had to have been done on a soundstage, but some of it was clearly shot in San Malo as well. This has got great digital map paintings. Everything in it, the money has been spent. No expense has been spared. Or perhaps a better way to put it is the money that was needed to tell this story was given to them in a budget. And I don't know how much Mark Ruffalo was going to cost, although he's not a very special, special effect. But the problem is, it just doesn't hang together. And therefore, it's not Anthony Doerr's fault. He came up with a good idea for a book. And it's not Stephen Knight's fault. He adapted the screenplay, and there's none of his peaky, blindery, anachronistic stuff going on in it. He has taken the brief, and he has written what he needed to write to turn a Pulitzer Prize-winning book into something that is suitable for the screen. Again, I have no issue with him on this. It's everything else. It's the direction. It's some of the plot contrivances. Why wouldn't you have German speaking in German? I would accept that. They do that in The Longest Day. This is a 1960s Hollywood movie. The Germans speak German, the French speak French, and all the English language people are speaking their languages. Good for them. It worked. That was a big box office hit. Everybody in Hollywood was in that movie. You get the idea. Why, in 2023, did they decide that this was the way to go? It's weirdly old-fashioned. To make the choice about having a visually impaired person playing a visually impaired role, that is very 21st century. But then having 
Hello, my name is Jean-Paul. I am from Paris. It's like, there's no part of that that I believe. <laughs> I'm not saying that's literally a line, but I'm using my accent to pretend to be a Parisian. Nobody's buying it. Why are you doing that when you're also spending so much money on the set scenery, locations, etc., etc.? So, I think you can tell, not a huge fan. And by the way, it's about to get worse. So when my wife and I watch some, something historical, I'm not saying she does this all the time, but there are moments when something happens on screen and she'll look over to me like, did that really happen? And there are many occasions, and I want to be quite clear on this, where I go, I don't know. I don't know all of history, okay? But there are certain things that are pretty clear and there are things that I can sometimes answer. And so this did lead to a number of conversations and it led to the brilliant line of, I know the Nazis are bad, but... <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And so this is where we're going to go. Now, obviously... Clearly, the Nazi regime is pure evil, and there's nothing to laugh about them. The Holocaust is absolutely something that happened. At least six million people died in the Holocaust. And, of course, the German forces, led by Adolf Hitler, started World War II, which led to the most amount of death in war in human history. 60 million plus. So all of that, I'm not denying. I'm, I'm not trying to get into it. But, it's the worst but ever, but... The thing is, how did the Nazis come to power? How did they manage to pervert an entire country? And according to this show, all the Nazis did was shout or shoot people. And whereas those things absolutely did happen, and we are getting the inner workings of the SS, an incredibly evil organization. There's, again, there's no argument there. But... They're missing, and I love this line, when it came to the Nuremberg trials, 
there was this question of like, look at all these different people who are being charged here, all, all parts of the Nazi apparatus. They all come from different parts of the, different parts of Germany, different walks of life, different backgrounds. Some of them are ex-military, some of them have never put a uniform on before. What ties them all together? And I did love these two lines. One was the banality of evil. The fact is, when we think of evil, we think of people sitting on a skull throne, cackling maniacally. That isn't real evil. If Hitler had been like that, Germany would not have voted him, hit him in and given him the powers that he, and he used to corrupt the entire nation. He seeped in by being reasonable and having a very deadly agenda. The other thing about the Nuremberg trials is they said th there's this complete lack of empathy. And there is an amazing HBO dramatization of the meeting where the final solution was ratified, was put into process. It's called conspiracy, not because it's doing anything to do with conspiracy theories. And indeed, this is an example where they break my rules, okay? Everybody in the room is German, and yet they're all English, uh, speaking English. Well, they're not all literally English, but they are all speaking English in fa fairly RP type of way. You've got Kenneth Branagh being Reinhard Heydrich, and he is pure evil in this show, and it's brilliantly. Stanley Tucci's there as well. A whole host of famous names are in it. Um, it's a great example of this banality of evil and the lack of empathy, because at no point in this room where they've got German lawyers and legislators and military, at no point does anybody say, let's kill all the Jews. They talk about units. They talk about processing. There's all these euphemisms. If you didn't know the context, you would be forgiven for thinking, this is a middle management meeting talking about targets for... 2025 or something like that or you know going back to 1943 and that's the thing they weren't thinking of every single time they talk about processing or whatever they're talking about human lives they're talking about real human beings and this is important because the scenes with louis hoffman and the thing is louis hoffman is a few years on from dark now in dark he is I'm assuming, in his early 20s, particularly in, in the first series. But with all the light we cannot see, he's now 26. And whereas I absolutely believe he is a young German soldier, what I don't believe is when we get the flashbacks from only a few years earlier, and he's clearly a teenager, he is in an orphanage. And he's taken from the orphanage into a Hitler youth kind of SS-type training camp. When these things did exist but they've got various different names and it's a little unclear as to which one it is, but I just don't recognise what they're doing there. And this is the thing. So I don't believe at any point this 26-year-old guy is sitting in an orphanage. It's like, why hasn't he left already? He, he's, he just looks too old. He looks too old to be a 17-year-old. He looks fine as a young, naive German soldier. But in this training... These kids are brutalized. And again, I want to be quite clear on it. There was elements of that in SS training. Of, of course there was. These people brutalized an entire generation. But they were popular. The Nazis were popular, not just before World War II, but going into World War II. By the time we get to 1942, Hitler's winning. Hitler has had very few setbacks. Yes, there's the Battle of Britain. But that's about it. 
his plan seems to be going well. And when you see the footage and propaganda that was being poured out by Goebbels, it wasn't all just screaming and tanks and banging of tables, because who wants that? It's used occasionally when it's appropriate, but the rest of the time the Nazis were seen as strong, yes, but there as a protective shield of the German people. And none of that's in this. You're watching these kids beat up other kids and doing various physical exercises and, and just sort of like, oh, he's broken his arm, that's just weakness, blah, 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 blah. No, people would have quit. People wouldn't have gone through with it. It's this thing where, yes, of course, if they were interrogating French resistance, you are more than 50% likely to be executed by the end of it. You're going to be tortured. Maybe you'll be kept incarcerated. All these kind of horrible things genuinely happen. Again, I'm not shying away from the brutality, but if all you show is the brutality, it makes the Nazis more incomprehensible. It's like, how could anybody fall for these bullies? Because they weren't coming across as bullies at the time to the general population. It's a bad misreading of the world. But going back to the conversations I had on Twitter, and the line is like, it's like a fairy tale just set in World War II. If you look at it like that, then you've got these innocents being surrounded by the evil, the darkness. And, and in that respect, it works. But the problem is it is World War II. They have era-accurate uniforms and weapons and, and things like that. You know, they are making the effort to make it look kind of realistic, but then not be realistic. It's just infuriating. And then we come to some really weird choices. I am fed up of the convenient explosion. What do I mean by that? You have seen this in too many movies and TV shows. There are people having arguments. This is probably going to come to blows or worse, but the story isn't over yet. So what happens? There is an air raid or there is an artillery barrage. And of all of the bombs that are falling on the city, town, location, etc., one of them just happens to hit the corner of the room, which is enough to make the lights go out, to spread loads of smoke everywhere, but because it hit the corner of the room rather than dead center, everybody can walk out of the rubble coughing and patting down their dusty jackets, etc., and then they can get on with trying to hunt down whoever they're trying to hunt down. You've seen that. This happens in this, and... The book came out in 2015. It was a cliche before 2015. I don't know if it's in the book, and I, I will give Duran the benefit of the doubt, but Netflix certainly have seen this before, and they okay, somebody okayed that scene in 2023, and I'm not okay with that. That's just lazy writing. If you're going to do World War II, that is a topic that has been done to death. What have you got that's new for me? And it seems the only thing you've got new for me is the fact that there's a blind girl in the middle of it. Now, here comes a spoiler for right at the end, but again, this is something that you've seen a million times. A lot of the story hangs on this hunt for this diamond, this cursed diamond, which again, doesn't that play well into a fairy tale? It, it works quite nicely. So with that in mind, guess what happens at the end? When eventually the blind girl is left with the diamond, what does she do? She goes to the seashore and throws it in, tosses it into the ocean. Why? 
I can understand the significance, the poetry of the situation. Maybe it was that scene that won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. But again, I am fed up of shows, movies, where the story is being told. You're vulnerable. You're a blind woman in 1944. It's not going to go well for you moving forward. You know, that woman could possibly still be alive today if it wasn't a fictional character. In which case, a diamond that's going to be worth millions? That's something that you would want to make your house accessibly friendly, to pay for people to perhaps drive you around and stuff like that. Why throw it away? Oh, it's caused so much death and bloodshed, and she saw how obsessed the German officer was with it. Yeah, and you know what happened to that German officer? She shoots him. <laughs> the problem is solved, okay? And just because the Germans believe it, the Nazis believe it, well, I think history has shown that just because the Nazis believe something doesn't make it necessarily true, it probably isn't cursed, because that's not really a thing. And so, yes, yeah, just this thing about throwing stuff away, it immediately brought to mind Titanic. And while, again, it's sort of oh-so-romantic of the diamond, the, the heart of the sea, or whatever it's called, being thrown back into the water as the music plays, that's all lovely, but that woman has cred children, and cost of living isn't going down. So, lady, you could have really helped out your family there, but no, because you're remembering Jack. Oh, give me a break. You couldn't even let him onto the door, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Mini Titanic rant there. Then, this is the bit that really annoys me, and again, I had this conversation online. Look, while they may have era-relevant weapons and things like that, that doesn't necessarily mean they know how they work, and I get this is not Saving Private Ryan if you if you start grumbling too much about, about weaponry. And I say that, actually, on the whole, they did pretty well, but the thing that drives me crazy, before the showdown between the evil German officer and the blind girl who has the gun, by the way. He is strapping one of those potato masher hand grenades, the ones which have the detonative explosive on the end, and then there is a wooden stick used by Germany in both World War One and World War Two. If you're wondering why the stick, whereas Allied grenades just had the canister of explosives, like the, the classic American fragmentation hand grenade from World War Two, which kind of looks like a very small pineapple fits in your hand, well, the thing about the stick means you can throw it further, so it's a clever little thing. And, and obviously, when it detonates, well, that stick's going to fly in some direction, and if it hits anything, it's going to hurt it really bad, so it's more damage with that kind of hand grenade. So it's kind of clever. I, I respect the design of the hand grenade. But here's the thing. When you pull the pin with either type of hand grenade, clearly, you then have a few seconds to throw it before it detonates. Indeed, there is this horrible moment in All Quiet on the Western Front. It's in the book written by an ex-German soldier from World War One, where the old guard are telling the, the new recruits that when it comes to the grenades, pull the string, which is the equivalent of pulling a pin on a German one, then wait for a couple of seconds and then throw it because it'll detonate in the air and hurt more people than it just lying on the ground, in which case half of its shrapnel spray will embed itself into the ground. That is, uh, you will pick that up being a veteran soldier who's used to killing people. It's a horrible fact. But of course, what it means is that all hand grenades have a delay on them. This one in this TV show doesn't. 
he keeps, he talks her down. I then turn to my wife going, this better still have a few more seconds on it. He pulls the cord, it immediately detonates. Well, think for a moment, if, a, if you design a hand grenade like that, then you kill everybody in your platoon. As everyone stands there going, get ready to throw the grenades, pull, bang everyone's dead. The ones that pulled a few seconds too late, they've been killed by the shrapnel. That just tells me they have no idea what's going on at all. And then, for the little bit of history here, so obviously there's D-Day, everybody knows about that. Technically it's actually called Operation Overlord, and this is all happening in early June of 1944. The landings may be successful, but the Allied forces are still pinned within eyesight of the beaches. The Germans do a good job of pinning them down. And so it takes another month, we're into July, when there's actually finally a breakout, which is what the Allies need to do to really start conquering France and not just keep dying in the hedgerows of Normandy. Indeed, the attrition rates, the casualty rates in that first month in Normandy were like World War I. That's how close and intensive the fighting was between the two sides. That's how close they were to each other as well. Once you get the breakthrough, then the Germans have difficulty of like, which direction are the Allies going, etc. You get somebody like General George Patton, who was all about mechanized warfare, and he liked to move fast so he could keep the enemy off balance. So, you know, he was doing his thing, disrupting things, but of course the Germans had the advantage that there were all these brocages, these very thick hedgerows, which could be very useful for defensively. Stick in an MG42 machine gun in one of those, and you can pin down an entire platoon of, of enemy soldiers with very little cost to yourself. And there are all these little towns and hamlets. Every single one of them has got a sort of central church, which is a perfect place for sniper or machine gun post or spotters for, for airplanes, for the Luftwaffe. And then you get to Saint-Malo, which may not be towards Paris, but it's an important port. And it's, it's close to Normandy. It's into Brittany, though. And it's a medieval walled town. This is impossible to crack from infantry, and you may indeed be able to roll up some tanks and pound in at the walls, but that's going to take a lot of rounds to start bringing down. The medieval French built their walls well, so what did the Allies do, even though this just didn't exist back in the 1940s, but nowadays we call Saint-Malo a classic UNESCO heritage site, and therefore you can argue that this is a crime, but it's a crime because the Germans aren't leaving, and that is the Allies very heavily bombarded it using US and RAF air forces. And also, once the land army got close enough to be within artillery range, they start firing artillery into Saint-Malo as well to just make it utterly miserable. Sadly, for the civilians, yes, civilians did die. The Allies absolutely killed civilians. They weren't necessarily wanting to. But there was no other way to do it in World War II at times, and this is an example of that. So it's terrible, horrible. And the thing I will give credit to the to the show, All the Light We Cannot See, is right at the end, as the credits are rolling in the last episode, is they show you real footage of the devastation. And it's it's heartbreaking. And obviously the Allies are able to get in, and that secures another port for resources and supplies to help with the aid to take back France from the Germans. So this was ultimately a both a tactical and strategic success for the Allies, but it was a very messy one, a very bloody one for civilians and for these ancient buildings and things like that. So all of that 
is there. And they, I think they do a good job of showing you the devastated Sam Allows. I will give them credit where credit's due. And there is this beautiful bit. The little German boy played by Louis Hoffman, becomes a radio operator. So it's about a diamond and it's about all these different radio operators. And this is true. The Germans absolutely do go, went around with directional equipment trying to track down the transmitters of the French resistance. And if they found something like that in your house, you would be expected to be brutally interrogated, then shot, and everybody else in that house could well be shot too. And sometimes the Germans also started just picking random people in the same street just to teach a lesson. So it made people think twice to say, yeah, sure, keep your radio here. It's like radios mean death. And and that element's there. And of course, the blind girl, absolutely perfect for, for doing that and helping the resistance. But it's Louis Hoffman, who is a very reticent, and indeed there are several times he kills German officers and soldiers. So, you know, he's he's got a kill count rivaling your average allied soldier. Well done, Louis. But he doesn't really want to be there. But what's amazing is because obviously he is German. He is in a German uniform. That when Sam Malo gets gets liberated, they he sort of falls for the girl, the blind girl. And there is this beautiful moment while the two of them stand there dancing in each other's arms to a beautiful piece of classical music. And then they can hear the Americans coming down the road. And so he hands himself in. He walks out with a white handkerchief. And of course, the Americans immediately... They don't start beating him up or, you know, threatening him with guns or anything, but they don't treat him kindly because he's a German combatant. But it is wonderful, that juxtaposition of like, you can understand why they're acting that way, but of course you follow this person and you know that he's one of the good ones, as it were. So it's messy all over the place. The intention is there. I'm going to say that, look, Silent Crossroads is my first historical novel and it's set in both world wars and... It's something like this reminds me of that. Now, I didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, not a Pulitzer Prize for it. It was never a number one New York Times seller. Okay, I get why Netflix went for that. But I've always thought Netflix could do a good job with that book. And this proved it to me because it was the same kind of setting, same kind of budgets, sort of same kind of points. It's like, man, I would just love somebody to talk to me about that because I could give you something that would end up being better than the TV show of All the Light We Cannot See. I appreciate the book is absolutely a literary classic. All right. So with that, as always, please click subscribe. Please tell people about us. Really appreciate that. Give us a review if you haven't done so already. Come on, takes two seconds to give us five stars on whatever podcast app you are listening to us on. Thank you very much, by the way. And as always, another episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.